0: This is They Reminisce Over You. I'm Miguel.
1: And I'm Christina. We wanted to take a minute to make a small request of all our listeners. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, or Podchaser, leave us a five star rating. You can also leave a review as well on Apple, Good Pods, and Podchaser. Ratings and reviews will help us with discoverability, and we want to get this out to as many like-minded folks as we can.
0: We want to get on the first page of these podcast apps.
1: And to move up on the charts as well. So help us get the word out.
0: Make sure to follow and interact with us on social media. We're at Troy Podcast on the gram and the bird. Also, check out our website, TroyPodcast.com. It's where we post links to a lot of the things that we mentioned in the show, as well as transcripts and themed playlists that supplement our episodes and more.
1: Thank you again for your support. You ready to get into the show? Let's do it. Welcome back to They Reminisce Over You. I'm Christina.
0: And I'm Miguel. Since this is the 50th anniversary of hip hop, we're bringing in other podcasters that we're fans of and enjoy listening to to have conversations about what hip hop means to us as Gen Xers and millennials. On this episode, we're going to be talking about classic hip hop songs and albums and what that means to us. And of course, we're going to close it out with my favorite segment, the this or that segment, where we lure our guests in into making hard decisions. So with that said, I'm going to shut up and let our guest introduce himself. Go ahead, B Cox. Tell
2: them who you are. Oh, man. Miguel and Christina, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's your boy B Cox from the Vault Classic Music Reviews podcast. My podcast is a podcast made up of mainly a group of us, me and my friends, who grew up uh, during the 90s. Uh, We would consider ourselves to be Xennials because we grew up in the best of both worlds, influenced (laughs) by Generation X, and grew definitely up in the millennial generation. But we have a podcast that looks back at classic music released most definitely in the 90s and also the 2000s. And we look at classic albums and potential classic albums during those times. To see whether or not those albums that we may have considered classics whether they still stand the test of time and it's something that we had a fire to do because of all the conversations around music nowadays and uh, everyone wants to brand something as soon as it comes out if it's a flawless album upon first listen upon the first couple of listens a classic so so many of us who grew up as i believe any generation can say this but i truly believe this in our generation we grew up in a generation chock full of classics for a lot of artists that were some of the artists that were the best of their time and their genres. So we wanted to be able to take a time to sit back and look at the classics that shaped our lives and to see whether or not they still stand the test of time. So that's what we do with The Vault. We rate classic albums and we do it for albums that are 20, 25 and 30 years old. So therefore, each year we will go back and look 20 years back, 25 years back and 30 years back. To see the albums that were considered the classics and potential classics or the albums that were considered essential or important that time to see if they still stand up. And along the way, we'll also have guests, and then we'll also have some uh we had the segment called Tale of the Tape, where we matched up artists catalogs and discographies, just like a versus, as you will. And then, of course, we also do pop culture things. We talk about movies that were influenced by the culture. And we got a couple of ones coming up this year, like Medicine Society, of course, which is a really, really big one out there. So, yeah, I mean, we cover all the things with hip hop culture. As we say, we open up the vault and do nothing but the classics.
1: <laughs> all right. Right up our alley. Exactly.
2: <laughs> uh, with that
0: said, uh, when did you fall in love with hip hop? Like when did yeah. b Cox yeah. first get the bug for hip hop?
2: Yeah, man. Well, before I get started into that, one thing I do, and I should have said this one before we got into this question, I want to just say how dope I think y'all podcast is, one. Thank um, you. Thank and definitely, you know, you guys, name your podcast after one of my favorite hip-hop songs of all time. <laughs> and it's also a uh, one of the working titles to my book that I'm working on right now. Okay. Um, it's going to be included in the title. So definitely shout out to y'all for doing y'all thing. And I uh, love the content that y'all put out. Yeah, now, you, you. to get to the question about when I fell in love with hip-hop, so, you know, we talked about that. You guys mentioned, you know, sort of tying it back to that famous line from the movie Brown Sugar, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, shout out to the culture, obviously. Um, everyone will talk about that question about when they fell in love with hip hop. For me, I tell people it's a complicated answer because hip hop and love for me was not a thing at first sight. Um, I first got attached into the culture really in the late eighties when I was really young. I'm talking about elementary school, entering into kindergarten age, first grade age where I spent a lot of times around my older sisters, my older cousins, and also their friends, and during this time in the late 80s was where a lot of people, if you're in a certain generation, will tell you that was hip-hop in its heyday, when it was still fairly a new thing, but that's really when the culture blew up, and commercialization-wise, it blew up across the radio, and it really became a thing, hip-hop was then included in the Grammys in the late 80s, I mean, it's crazy, though. We've talked about that 30 years later, and hip-hop still, I think, doesn't get the props it deserves from the Grammys, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> but my first, I would say, intrigue of hip-hop started in the 80s with all these artists, the show with Slit Rick and Dougie Fresh, BDP and KRS-One, LL Cool J, Big Daddy Kane, Public Enemy, Special Ed, Heavy D, salt and Pepper, Kid and Play, Fresh Prince of Jazzy Jeff, run down the list of all these folks from that era, late 80s into nineteen ninety. Also, I think the introduction to music videos during this time sort of shaped my narrative and helped to build that intrigue. This is right around the time when Yo! MTV Rap started as well, with Fab Five Freddy. Right. You're starting to see that rap music is becoming not just audio, but it's also becoming visual as well. And that's why I think it's helped to bring rap music to the next level. Then that intrigue turned into admiration into the early 90s. You start, I started getting into Tribe Call Quest, Ice Cube, De La Soul, DJ Quick. My introduction to rap videos through Rap City and also through Video Soul helped play a role in this as well. But if I have to pin down one moment where I said I truly fell in love with hip-hop had to be probably about 30 years ago in 1993. I was at that point 11 years old and 1993, for those who don't know, and I'm doing this year right now for The Vault, was an absolutely massive year because of all the different landmark, classic, and essential albums that came out during that year. There were a number of moments during that year you talk about not just hip-hop but r b an absolutely massive year when you talk about yes. for the culture <laughs> yes yep. so the one moment that i will pin down that i say that at this moment i was hooked and definitely in love was when i listened to in full a tribe called quest midnight marauders oh mm. nice and having been introduced to tribe at a very young age from sisters and cousins who were big a tribe called quest fans The first album that I listened to theirs was only a couple of years earlier, The Low End Theory. So songs like Bonita Applebaum and Check the Rhyme and Scenario sort of hit me, The Tribe Called Quest. But by the time The Midnight Marauders came out, I'm around the time where I'm getting ready to head at the end of my elementary school period. And I'm truly into listening music independently and not just from my predecessors and my older sisters and also older cousins were there to sort of influence me and what I was I was listening to. I was seeking the music out myself. So listening to Midnight, Mar- Midnight Marauders and hearing the sound and the artistry, the chemistry on a war tour, uh, electric relaxation, 8 million stories, the chase. <laughs> all the jams. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. God lives through. And going through all those songs and seeing, man, what is this? You know, this is something that I can't live without. And then we talk about all the other moments during 1993. I mean, you talk about the doggy styles coming out and snooping how big that was. 36 Chambers, 93 yeah. to Infinity mm-hmm. with Souls of Mischief, Back to F Up with Onyx. All these different moments during 1993 sort of solidified it for me. So at that point, we went from int- intrigue to admiration to fully falling in love. And that when it was for me, Trap Call Quest, Midnight Marauders.
1: That'll do
2: it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a
0: good moment. And this kind of plays into what you pointed out, Christina, not mm-hmm. only the last episode we recorded, but when we talked to Q Points as well. Mm-hmm is everybody's around the same age,
1: 10 to Mm -hmm.
0: 11 years old, when we get hooked into hip hop.
1: It makes sense because I guess at that age is when we kind of start to break away from our parental or siblings or cousins influence. And then that's when we take what we were influenced by maybe, but then we start to explore ourselves. So I don't think it's any coincidence that most of us have picked that age.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know what it is? It is the precursor to puberty is mm-hmm. what it is. And I think that that sign of growth, like mm-hmm. individually, the things that you go through physically that you go through as well, I think sort of preps you to being able to g- gain some sort of independent thought, whether you like something mm-hmm. or not. Yeah. And I think that has a lot to do with it as well. Sure. I mean, the fact that you're getting ready to end elementary school and go into middle school where things really ramp up at that point for you individually. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah Cause in the last episode, we do the key points where we pose this question. The moment I chose was Naughty by Nature's um, 19, no, their self-titled album. Mm-hmm. Because a friend of mine introduced it to me. I had been listening to, like I would listened to some hip hop, R&B, but it was more like top 40, whatever was like popular. Mm-hmm. But I remembered that moment so clearly because it's that moment of self-discovery. Like I had a friend that introduced it to me who's also the same age and I liked it instead of just something I heard on the radio <laughs> or something that. Mm-hmm. My older sisters were listening to, but I wanted to choose a different moment this time. So this, I kind of call this moment more like puppy love than okay. full on love. And <laughs> it's totally crossed out by crisscross. And I'll tell you what. All right. <laughs> so this was 1992. So just before that 93, 94 era. Right. And I was 12. So that age, we're just about to start high school and coming to my own because um, at the time. We didn't have like a middle school where I grew up. So it was like you went from grade school to high school. So I was just transitioning uh, to that. Anyways, at the time, it's like, oh, they're the same age as me. They're little kid rappers. It's like like a gateway drug to hip hop.
3: Right? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but yeah.
1: as I got older and started to actually listen to like more not kiddie hip hop, I'm like, wait a minute. That's Ice Cube that's easy e that's like all of their samples even their rhyme styles like they're sampling easy e they got warming up which is basically warming up Kane. they're sampling bdp (laughs) digital underground public enemy Mm -hmm. ice cube black sheep all these people right so some of these groups i had kind of started to to find out about and some people you know i never heard of but at this same time they kind of like made it easy to get into all this stuff because now all this stuff is familiar because i started listening more like early 90s so i didn't know much about like public enemy or big dad kane um i was starting to listen to ll cool j digital underground and they encompassed all of that but in like this perfect little kitty format (laughs) (laughs) but when you because i actually listened to the album again the other day i'm like aside from them sounding like little kids this is a pretty good album <laughs> like for anybody. But the fact that they're little kids and they sound like it, it just gets written off as like a kiddie album. But if you listen to it again, it's like, hey, they're pulling from all of the Greeks.
0: <laughs> yeah, JD put his foot into that one. He sure yeah. did.
1: And all this time I thought JD was molding them, but it turns out that they were bullying him into making the music they wanted. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> he was talking about it in some like podcast or something, and then Bow Wow yeah. showed up drunk and... Sort of, yeah, the, the vibe. I was like, I want to hear more about Crisscross, wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's Even my one of my moments, my puppy love into <laughs> falling in love with hip hop moment.
0: <laughs> yeah, mine is basically the same as I mentioned before, just listening to 1580 K Day as a kid mm. uh, and just getting all of the early hip hop because. I'm a couple years older than you guys. So when you get, you're listening to it in 93, I was listening to it in like 87, 88, 89 when I was in elementary school. Mm. So I'm hearing NWA on the radio for the first time. I'm hearing big daddy Kane run DMC BC boys. All of this is coming to me at the same time. And it's just like, what is this? This is not the, Freddie Jackson, I hear my mom listening to in the car when we go places, the stuff that I couldn't enjoy and get into. But this this was for me. I didn't know why it was for me or why I felt this way, but I was just hooked immediately. And it's been in me ever since. Yeah. So, qu-
1: Question for you. What do you think attracted you to hip hop? What felt different about that? Or do you think the culture has shaped who you are today?
2: Oh, was that for me? So oh, yeah. yeah for you. <laughs> well yeah i think what attracted me to hip-hop was a little bit of like what miguel said is the fact that it was something where i kind of felt like i fit in even though i probably had very little in common with the people making the music yeah right <laughs> somehow it spoke to me mm-hmm. uh, you listen to a lot of the things that your parents listened to to me i grew up in a caribbean household and you know we were listening to a lot of classic music you know a lot of uh, Rock study and reggae. And so there was a lot of stuff like Billy Ocean and Peter Tosh and Bob Marley. And there was a lot of classic R&B music from the Motown days. And then also from the Soul 70 days into the 80s. And for me, I felt like when I looked at those type of people, I'm like, OK, this is the type of music that speaks to that's going to speak to my generation the most because they understand what I'm going through more than anything else. And even though I'm like, I don't know, 8, 9, 10 years old, 11 years old, having not really much to worry about as far as anything is concerned, <laughs> it just seemed cool. And I felt like when I would do things like watch the news in particular, I'll take a point watching things about the 92 LA riots and seeing how the outrage that people in the streets reflected what I was hearing in a lot of the music during that particular time. I'm just like, they get it. You know, these hip hop artists, this genre gets it because they are the children of the soul artists. They are the grandchildren of these jazz and blues artists, and therefore they know the struggle. They've been through two generations of the struggle whose parents and grandparents have told them of this struggle. And this is the generation that sort of stood up and said, all right, everybody else is forwarded back back at it in one way. This is the way we're fighting back to it. So it spoke to me. I felt like I in the words people say, you feel seen. I sort of like, as much as that doesn't make sense to somebody who's 10 or 11 years old, I felt seen, you know, you feel like this is going to be the music is going to guide me through the rest of my life. And, you know, I know if anybody, you talk to your grandparents, they probably felt the same way about whatever genre they fell in love with at 10 or 11 years old as well.
0: Yeah. I remember hearing KRS one when I was young and he was always talking about, I am hip hop. (laughs) I am hip hop. When I'm, 50 years old, the president of the United States is going to be listening to KRS-One. And I'm like, man, you crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Like, What are you talking about? But here I am Mm -hmm. 30 years later. And it's like he was right (laughs) because (laughs) I am hip hop. Like in 2023, that's all I've been. Like the way I dress, obviously the music I listen to. Uh, The movies that I watch, the TV shows that I like, everything Mm -hmm. about it is rooted in hip-hop. And like I said, I just thought he was a madman that was (laughs) ranting. But I am apologizing to you, (laughs) KRS-One. I see your vision now. He was correct. And this is years before Barack Obama was even thought about. I'm like... Like hip hop in the White House, you crazy man! But yeah, here we are, and we've had our first black president, and now we've got our first black vice president. You know, there's hip hop in the White House because we see hip hoppers there all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah.
1: Well, Easy was dripping Jerry
0: Crew. Yeah. See, he snuck his way in. Yeah, that was a bit
1: of a scam.
0: That was different. Oh, since um your show focuses on anniversaries and the milestone years and whatnot is there Mm -hmm. a year that stands out to you and if there is what albums or songs or videos represent that era
2: man so years and i'm gonna break this down in a couple of different ways now there's before my time where i was before i was really outside um i'll definitely go (laughs) with the one and miguel you could talk about you could speak to this because this was your era I guess that you sort of fell in love with hip hop in 1988 I mean it's the many people will cite whether it's fans critics journalists people who were outside during that time probably the greatest year in hip hop history I and mean, you look at all the albums that came out in 1988 that takes a nation of millions to hold us back strictly businesses the follow the leaders the adventures of slick rick the straight out of Comptons <laughs> long yeah. live the king all these albums that came out during those years that are albums that are considered by so many people who did the music that I loved cited as influences you know yeah. so that to me is one that I have to give respect to before I even get into the ones that personally I love I think there's a three-year period between 1994 and 1996 that I think to me is unmatched and you just take a look at the albums that came out during those years the ones that shaped it for me during 1994 obviously two of my favorite artists Nas and Biggie Ready to Die and Illmatic, both of their debut albums. Classics. Um, albums as well, like Common's Resurrection. Also another album like Redman, There is a the Dark Side. Being able to get in albums like J.Ru to Damage, the Sun Rises in the East. You get to 1995, then that's a whole other animal where you get into albums like Only Built for Cuban Links by Raekwon and also The Infamous by Mob Deep and Soul Food by Goody Mob and Me Against the World by Tupac. So those are just a a, a few of them that I'm mentioning right there. And in 1996, which to me for my generation, I say was probably the best year during our, during that little sub generation, because we can run down the list of of albums that came out during (laughs) this year. When I had to rank the albums from 1996, it literally took me about an hour and a half of me switching my list around being like, (laughs) no, can I rank this above this? No, I need to put this here. And That top 10 list was really hard for me to do because I had to leave some of my top 10 that people were like, whoa, (laughs) you left that out of your top 10? Like, yeah, I did. That's how hard (laughs) it was. And that's not even considering some of the albums that weren't necessarily considered classics that were really dope albums during that year. Um, When you get to the new millennium, I always like to say the moments for me, like 01 to 03 and that 05 to 06 era, because at that point, you're starting to get to a point where hip hop has now turned into a full mixing bowl where the South has really started to take over. And during that time, those are my college years and those are my clubbing days. So when we really talk about my years, when I was outside, those were my (laughs) years outside. Right. So that's just a little bit to talk about that, but the videos, man, the music videos in the nineties were so inventive. I kind of felt like that's really where things went up a whole nother level. The fashion during that time, I did an episode about that on my podcast about you know, you had the folks who would rock the Fifth Avenue brands, the Polos, the Tommies, the Nauticas, the Armani's, the Gucci's. Then you have the hip hop brands, of course, like Carl Kanai and FUBU and Fat Farm and in NYC and all those brands that sort of melded together to become all things that were considered hip hop. So that's all during that time frame, 94, 96, where I felt all that sort of came, came together to me. What about you, Christina?
1: See... In the notes that you gave me, (laughs) you said 93 and 98. So I only looked at those two years. (laughs) So I was supposed to pick my favorite album from either 93 or 98. And I was looking at 94. And I was like, I'm glad he didn't ask me about that year. (laughs) Because that was too hard. So I'm gonna stick with 93 and 98. 93 was pretty hard too. As you mentioned, all the stuff that came out that year. But I'm gonna go with Wu-Tang for that.
0: I'm not surprised um, at that at all. Yeah.
1: Because I listen to Doggy <laughs> Style a lot as well. Now, it's definitely a second runner up, but I don't know, something Wu-Tang just changed everything for me. <laughs> it
2: changed it for a lot of people. That
1: yeah. And did. then for 98, I have to pick DMX because not only did I listen to mm. "Is Dark and Hell is Hot a lot, but I guess it's kind of almost like, I mean, if I pick Wu-Tang, it was like there was this other like New York Powerhouse. But then he released two albums that year. Yeah. So that's pretty well. Um, really hard to pick ninety-eight as well, too, because there was also Equimine. So, mm. so that's my runner-up for ninety-eight. And then I'm not even gonna attempt the other years. Because <laughs> I, I think I have to mull it over a little bit. we yeah. ain't got the time for that right now.
0: <laughs> so what about you, Beacks? Nineteen ninety-three or nineteen ninety-eight. Do you have a favorite from either of those years? And it doesn't have to be a classic album, but yeah. just your
2: personal favorite. Favorite. It's hard to pick for '93, man. There's so many, so much good stuff. A lot of stuff I'm going to cover this year. But as I mentioned before, I have to go with Midnight Marauders from Tribe call Quest. I mean, just <laughs> the impact personally that that album has had for me in regards to. That's where I think a lot of folks will say low end theory was the the tribe high point. To me, that's their high point because I kind of felt like Fife was fully integrated into it. Q-Tip was fully into it. The the back and forth between the two of them, the production on that album was absolutely amazing. And it's hard for me to pick that over doggy style and over 36 chambers, but I got to go with midnight Marauders from 1993. 98 is another hard one as well, because I think that really is an out a year. Album wise is very, very top heavy. And part of me wants to say It's Dark and Hell is Hot by DMX, but Ooh. then another part of me <laughs> wants to say Equemni by Outcast. <laughs> and uh, if I had to boil down between the two of those, I probably would have to break down and say It's Dark and Hell is Hot only because Equemni, while well, I think it is Outcast's best album, I don't think it's my favorite album by them. Okay, so mm-hmm. I would have to say definitely It's Dark and Hell is Hot then because when that came out. Even listening to it right around the time when DMX died a couple of years ago, I was still blown away by it almost 20 years later.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, I'm going to go with, and it's not a classic album to a lot of people, but me being from L.A., this is a classic L.A. album, Black Mafia Life by Above the Law. Oh, man. Uh, It came out after The Chronic, but it was recorded before The Chronic. Yeah. Without that album and without Dre being around hearing Big Hutch put this album together, we don't get G-Funk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I word. love that album. It's one of my favorite albums of all time, and I'm upset that I can't find my CD because <laughs> it's not available on streaming services anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I need to go to Discogs and buy another one.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And for 98, this one's easy, Outcast "Equipment." That's yes. my favorite group of all time. <laughs> nice. Whatever year they're involved in, I'm choosing Outcast. Yep. Nice. It doesn't matter what is up against them. I'm always gonna choose Outcast.
2: Nice. <laughs> yeah, man. Those are hard years to pick, man. They it's are. it's yeah. it's like to try to nail down during '93. It's like mm-hmm. I went ahead and on TikTok I do these post to preview for what i was going to do at the beginning of the year and i'm grabbing the album covers for all the years during that fall the album's in 98 just the hip-hop albums and i'm like wow i've been through 10 album covers already and i know i'm leaving stuff off like Mm It's like, I got to the point where I thought I was done. I was like, oh, Souls of Mischief, 93 to Infinity is not on there. Oh, let me go grab Onyx, Back to F Up. Oh, let me go grab Return to the Boombat by KRS-One. So we talk about albums, the favorite yeah. one, we pick one. You're leaving a lot of ones out there. This is a ridiculous <laughs> yeah. thing about how stacked things were back then. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about y'all, if y'all were buying, y'all were in, bought tapes, but tapes back then were like $10, $12, You know, and if you didn't have a lot of dough, like I didn't have a lot of dough for me. A lot of that was like getting blank tapes and telling your friend, like, yo, let me give you a couple of dollars to dub this for me. You know what I mean? So, yeah, definitely tough. In 98, obviously, yeah. (sighs) DMX and OutKast, like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That was good times. High school for me right there. So, yeah. (laughs) Wow.
1: So what makes... A classic what is your definition of a classic album like what is your criteria i'm sure this varies person yeah. to person but what do you consider what makes a classic because the way people review music today i don't think you can say something's a classic after listening to it one time or like <laughs> yeah. an hour after it's been released so i mean yeah. i guess i've already said one criteria but what is your <laughs> criteria <laughs> yeah
2: so i think you know this is probably if you want to ask probably 10 different people you'll probably get answers that vary Mm -hmm. and 10 different variations of that but i think they'll have some of the same criteria so to me i think number one is quality and that quality hey you have to have great song composition it needs to be you know lyrics has to have a good beat song concept production lyrics cachet, you know and it needs to be all that needs to be a part of that as far as the quality is concerned um mixing and mastering needs to be a part of that sonically i think the album has to bump too and i think that we can't discount that is that you can take your album up a couple of notches even if the the lyrical quality is maybe mediocre and maybe even if the beats aren't the best beats out there in the world but if you can get them to thump mm then you can change the perception that somebody has of that album if it dumps. Relevance. To me, it being relevant at the time that it's made at hand and also the times that are ahead. There are so many classic albums that I've listened to that are now 20, 25 and 30 years old that I go back and listen to and I'm listening and like, wow, you could literally say the same thing about that today. They're talking about a topic now that is still relevant today. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is something to me to be able to have, not just be able to speak to the time at hand, but then also have the foresight to see what may happen in the future. That to me, relevance is a big part of it as well. The replay value. Can you play it 30 years later (laughs) and does it still stand the test of time or does it sound dated? I mean, that really to me kind of breaks down where I used to classify my classic albums as being either certified borderline or just in its time. And there's a lot of albums that we may have thought probably 10 years or like five years after they came out, Oh, this is a classic. And then like 20, 25 years later, you're kind of listening to it and it sounds dated. And it's like, you know, we don't, this was a classic in its time. Like, honestly, it was a classic album to us at that time. It's a point where you pull up some albums and it's, you know, undeniable without you pull it up and it's like oh yeah this is still classic 30 years afterwards it's still a classic yeah um skips i think there needs to be a minimal amount of skips i don't think that number can be quantified though so some albums are classics and they have skips some albums aren't classics and they don't have skips so i think there needs to be a minimal amount if any i think some people will say oh you gotta skip it's not a classic like nah man that's not true you know because there are some classic albums out there that have skips Right. And to me, I think the last couple of ones for me is the importance and impact it has to the culture, meaning our fans, the journalists, peers, the predecessors and the successors looking at it and saying, this is an album that was significant. It was important to the culture and made a contribution, whatever that contribution may be, whether it influences people, whether it has a legacy that carries on beyond the years that it came out. And then I think the acclaim level has to be there as well. Now, I think that you have to have some sort of a claim, whether it's from the public or the actual people inside and of the culture. And I think the second one is the more important one, because when the culture recognizes this is a classic, then who is anybody outside of it to say that it isn't? Right. And, you know, I think that's really the big the, the biggest thing to me. And with classics, they got to have time to breathe. That's the reason why I made my podcast is like people. Music needs time to breathe. You got to let this bad boy breathe in order for you to come back to it and listen to it and determine whether it's a classic or not, you know?
0: Yeah. For me, it's when you have an album, that's just not a bunch of songs that are thrown together. Like Mm. there are albums that have a 20 good songs on them, but they just don't fit together.
3: Mm. Whereas
0: with a classic album, like there's a theme, they flow together sonically. The sequencing is great. So it's all of those things that I feel make a classic, at least for me. Mm -hmm. And also, like you said, when everyone in the culture can agree, that's an undeniable classic. Like, we don't have to debate this. We all know what it is. There might be 3% haters over here that just want to be contrarian (laughs) for whatever reason. But the rest of us can agree that we know it when we see it.
1: Yeah, because there's even albums that are considered classics that Maybe I don't personally particularly listen to a lot or it's not one of my favorites, but I can still tell when something's a classic where it's like, okay, I understand why everyone else likes this or most people like it. Or it's considered that even if it's not something I, you know, personally listen to that often. But I think you just kind of know. Yeah, Yeah.
0: (laughs) it's a a feeling that you just have. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Kind of like, I guess, that feeling we have to just be drawn to the music to begin with. (laughs)
2: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. You, you know classic music when you hear it and you know it when you hear it when you first hear it and you know it 10 years afterwards when you listen to it and you know it 20 years afterwards when you listen to it you know
3: mm-hmm.
0: and with that said are there any albums released in the past 5 to 10 years that you feel are
2: classic
1: or might become one <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think that's the, the caveat right there I, <laughs> I'm very hesitant to call albums classic I like to label them as potentially classic worthy and here's the list that I came up with when I, I thought about that question. So to me, I would have to put these albums as potentially having the ability to be classics. When we go down the road, to me, I think at least 20 years, you gotta at least give it 20 years or so. That's just my personal uh, guideline. So I'll start with J. Cole, uh, 2014, Forest Hills Drive. That to me was the album when I first heard it, I was like, this album has potential. It definitely does that's my favorite album by him by far. I mean, mixtapes and stuff, everything. Yeah. But LPs, that's my favorite. Uh, Kendrick, obviously to A butterfly. And to me also from him, possibly damn as well, though. I know a lot of Kendrick fans tend to sort of it, it's really damn. I think is a polarizing album when it comes to Kendrick fans, but to me, uh, I would put damn almost a step below to be a butterfly and sort of almost right there with good kid, mad city. Um, Freddie Gibbs and Madlib Pinata will be another one uh that I would have to put up there, possibly. Chance, uh, acid rap, and also coloring book. Uh Benny the Butcher, the plugs that I met. Uh, it's was another one that was a good one that I loved. Um, then two, a couple other ones that I wanted to mention Scarface deeply rooted, um, Anderson Pack Malibu, and for Nas, who's my favorite rapper of all time. Uh, I would have to say of these albums that he's put out over these last few years, I really think that King disease two and maybe even three have the potential to be there. Once we go a little bit further down the road, Um, King disease two, in particular for me, I'm a very, very big fan of, Um, but yeah, that's the ones I would have to say for albums in the last five to 10 years that I could consider could be classic worthy within a few years or so.
1: That's pretty wild that, Nas is a a potential contender for another classic when he was one of the classics from
3: 93 (laughs) and
1: he's still around to potentially produce another one. That's kind of crazy. Because I mean, back then we didn't think be like, oh, 40 years old, still rapping and listening to rap. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Like it was, it seemed like a young person's game. And now we've seen it grow old with us. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah,
0: exactly. I think Nas is probably at his best right now. Mm. I, I might be alone in that, but <laughs> I think 2023 Nas is better than Illmatic Nas.
2: That's just me, though. <laughs> you know what? It, Wait, it's that's just me. Nah, that's <laughs> you could definitely you could make an argument. Um, because when you hear what he's saying now versus what he was saying almost 30 years ago, it's hard to not say that that's. <laughs> it's almost there, you know, but there's a lot of lines on the old Maddie that I stop and sit, that think about from time to time nowadays, like, wow, he was saying this in 1994, bro. that's not even fair. (laughs) It's not even fair. I think
1: also just thinking about how young he was. Yeah. Because it's one thing to sort of be older and come up with, you know, interesting or wise things to say, but when you're like a kid still, you're like, wait a minute, he was so young when this album came out. Yeah. Like, I just think about how I was at that age, and I wasn't very smart. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: man. Uh, so, did you have any that you felt are going to be classics or potential classics that have come out in the past 10 years, Christina?
1: Um, I didn't really think about that. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, I'm not exactly sure when it came out because I can't, like, pretty much anything after like 2000 and, like, all the time just kind of melts together for me. Mm-hmm. But I am. Um, one thing I could think of off the top of my head would be Kendrick's Good Kid, Mad City. And the reason why I like that one so much and maybe potential classic is I liked that he went back to the storytelling, like the sequencing is very important. Like you listen to mm-hmm. the whole album to hear the full story. And I think that current music is, it feels very driven by singles. And mm-hmm. so to have an album where you have to kind of listen to the whole thing whether you like it or not if you skip it you're going to miss a piece of the story. I mean, you yeah. might have your favorites after a while, but at some point you have to listen to the whole album to get it. And so I thought that was kind of almost like a throwback to some older albums where that kind of stuff was important, like everything had to be cohesive.
2: Yeah. Um, if I could th- if I could throw another one in there, I don't mean the rock, but going a little back further back 10 years, I would definitely throw one I want to throw in there for is uh, Joey Badass' 1999. Um, the fact that Joey came out with the album last year, 2000, and 2022, and I go back and slept there. I said, you know what? It's crazy that in 2012, Joey Badass came out with 1999, and he was 17 years old. And now he's 27 years old, a decade deep into the game, and is still really putting out great quality music, but I feel a lot of people don't really pay attention to him. You know, not as much as his contemporaries, really. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, the ones I'm going to go with are basically the same as you guys. I think the first three Kendrick albums have the potential to all be classics. And for the same reason that you said, the sequencing, the production, mm-hmm. all of that. You said that you're going to go with Freddie Gibbs and Mad Lib. I am as well, but I'm choosing Bandana as my choice. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I feel that one just is a little bit better. Okay. Then, pin, then Pinata is uh Pusha T. I think he has two Daytona and It's Almost Dry. Mm. Like I love the both of those albums. He's Mr. Coke rap. He's a <laughs> Dr. Seuss of Coke. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> like, I'm okay yeah. with that. He does yeah. it well though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when you do it that good, you don't have to change your your
3: content. <laughs> Just yeah. stick with it. Exactly.
0: Uh and one random one I'm gonna throw in there. But with a little caveat, though, the Watch the Throne album. But it has to be in the order from the album release party. It's slightly different than what was actually released. And I remember when it first came out, Elliot Wilson posted on Twitter that when he heard it the night before, this is the order that it was in and it sounded better. And that's the way that I've been playing it ever since. Ever
2: since. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it it doesn't sound the same on the retail album. It's just like two or three songs that were switched around. But when you listen to it in the Mm -hmm. release party order, chef's kiss. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. So that's a good spot for us to take a break and we will be right back.
1: Are you enjoying this podcast? Hell yeah. (laughs) You're enjoying it as much as he is. There's a couple things you could do. You can feel free to drop some coins into our collection plate at coffee.com slash Troy podcast and that's coffee ko-fi.com link is also in the show notes we're self-funded so any support would be appreciated and if you don't have any extra coins to spare just leave us a five-star rating or review like j-lo's love it won't cost you a thing
0: you are just sitting at home on the couch anyhow
1: <laughs> all right thanks back to the show
0: all right and we are back and it's time for us to do My favorite game, this or that.
1: Yes. So this is where we're going to give you, Beacocks, two scenarios to choose from. And you're going to go with whatever just feels right. and uh, (laughs) Let us know why, though. And remember, there's no wrong answers.
2: Mm. Whatever
1: feels good to your soul. Okay.
2: Feels good to me. Okay. I got it. I'm with it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Now,
0: the first couple questions we ask to everybody, and they're going to be a little simple. Mm-hmm. They get we'll harder <laughs> as we go along, oh, okay, so the go. first one we're gonna go with is which was your favorite magazine double xL or the source
2: oh man um with me I mean it's gotta be the source, obviously, right I mean, I came up in the era where source mic ratings were things that you rushed to I mean that was i think the feature stories were great, like the ads and everything were cool, but You rushed to the source to see two (laughs) things for me, the quotables and to see what those reviews were hitting on. And you knew you had a good one personally, if you had a mic rating of 3.5 or higher, but if it got up to four, then you're like, Ooh, okay. (laughs) Okay. And I know that I can remember personally of all the five mic ratings that I witnessed myself with my own eyes when I opened the source. So I would have to say the source but I think right around the time when I was getting ready to leave high school, I thought that the source was starting to dovetail off and the Double XL was picking up. But for right. me, hands down, 100% the source. Okay.
1: Okay, next question. So between these two shows, Yo MTV Reps or Rhapsody? Oh.
0: <laughs> see this is what we no. wanted and see I've been <laughs> okay.
1: Canadian so I didn't get these shows so <laughs> all I know is from what Miguel tells me so I have no dog in this fight <laughs>
2: <laughs> so as much as I want to say your MTV Raps and how important it is to the culture I kind of felt like they laid the ground for Rap City for me it's got to be Rap City and I'm not talking about Rap City the basement and shout out to Tigger who was on <laughs> 95.5 WPGC for much of my adolescence into my adulthood <laughs> before he took over rap city, the basement as the host I'm talking about rap city with well, none other than the mayor, Joe Cleasy, Joe Claire mm-hmm. and big Les. That is the version of rap city that I'm talking about. And so many of those artist interviews that I saw with them really kind of shaped the way that I looked at artists and getting to know them and uh, those videos in that rap city top 10, which immediately followed Teen summit on Saturday, by the way, was just as important to me the video Souls Top 20 on Fridays. So definitely to me, Rap City. I'm sorry, Fat Five, but <laughs> I'm sorry. Yo MTV Raps is imp- crucially important to the culture, man. But for me personally, it's Rap City, man.
1: Yeah, I got that tail end of that version of Rap City by the time it reached Canada. Oh, <laughs> so man. I got to see a little bit of it.
2: <laughs> yeah, and Les. Oh, that version of Rap City was just so classic,
3: man. <laughs>
0: All right. This is possibly my favorite question to ask people. Which is the greatest hype man of all time, Spliff Star or Flavor Flay?
2: Yo, well, look, man, (laughs) shout out to Spliff because uh, Busta is one of the most dynamic performers, not in his hip hop history, but in music history of the second half of the 20th century and uh, the 21st century. His energy is unmatched. Now, you have a performer of that quality. You got to have a great hype man. You have to, but (sighs) you got to be a good hype man on stage and on record. And to me, yeah. it's there will be no greater hype man than Flavor Flav, and despite all the stuff that happened, Flavor of Love, and all that other stuff, <laughs> you know, uh, the you know the surreal life, and all the other stuff he did that sort of made him a caricature of himself, you know, which was so anti whatever Flavor Flav was and what Public Enemy stood for. But there'll never be a big, hype a hype man than Flavor Flav man, because he was a hype man on stage and on record. There's nobody who complimented the importance of what Chuck D and Public Enemy brought. Yes. Then when Flavor Flav's ad libs and speeches in the middle of raps, man. No way. <laughs> so it's gotta be flav, man. It has to be. All
1: right. Suppose you're making an album. Which producer are you choosing to work with? DJ Premier? Oh, no.
2: Or Dr. Drake. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> You all are this going, is where it starts to get hard. <laughs> oh, straight we're, heat- we're heating up. Straight to the hot afterlife. Both of you go <laughs> for asking me that question. Primo or Dre. You know what's funny? Those two are actually, when I talk about hip hop producers, are my 1A and 1B best producers yeah. of all time. Um hmm, if This I'm is why we it threw it, it at
0: you.
3: <sighs>
2: <sighs> okay. If I had to say producer overall, I would have to say Dre. I like Primo's beats better, but not just as a beat maker, but also based on the direction, the uh, the guidance and the tutelage and oversight of an album. That's to me why I think Dre is a step ahead of DJ Premier in that respect because look at how many of the classic albums that where he produced some tracks. Yeah. He made some beats. Yeah. But really who was the driving force in the studio to make those classic albums from death row. And even the ones from ruthless stand out because he was the one driving the ship and really a great producer is not just going to make beats, but they're going to drive the ship to really make that album be what it is. Mm -hmm. And primo to me, I think beat maker wise one, one, a, without a doubt, but, if I had to say a producer to work with on my album, just because of that, I have to give Dre the edge. Okay.
1: Yeah. I think one of the things that really um made me realize like how great a producer that Dr. Dre was was when I found out that he basically forced Easy to become a rapper by feeding him one line at a time <laughs> and making him record it over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then he turned into like a great rapper. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of patience and work ethic to do
2: that yeah or the famous story about bishop lamont that he made him record the same bar over like 65 times because it wasn't the way (laughs) dre wanted set on the record yep you know so (laughs) i mean that talks about the dedication that somebody has like wow you know that would annoy me as a rapper but yeah you know that's the kind (laughs) of perfection you want so that when it comes out on the other side Mm -hmm. to our ears that's what you want
0: yeah definitely All right. Now this one is definitely going to cause some internal struggle with you. (laughs) All right. So if you could personally never hear one of these two albums again, but they don't disappear for the rest of it. So it's basically like you're at a silent disco, Mm -hmm. but you can never hear these albums, but we do. Okay. Illmatic or ready to die. One of them's gone. Wow. (laughs) (sighs) Wow. Wow. See, this is the struggle that we go for with these questions.
1: (laughs) Having an internal crisis here.
2: Mm, Wow. That's a really hard question. And I don't want to make a decision. I'm like, yo, can I go? Is that, you know, can I go and we can keep playing these forever? Like, no. But (laughs) if I had to pick an album that I could never hear again between Illmatic and Ready to Die, it would have to probably be Ready to Die okay? And as much as it hurts me to say that, because I went and got ready to die with grass-cutting money, and I (laughs) bought it. I bought it just for the simple fact that I needed to hear everything that Biggie had to offer, and when I lost my Ready to Die tape, I cried. Like, I was 14 years old, and I cried. And I had to go out and go buy another one with grass-cutting money. Um, (laughs) But Illmatic, man, I I couldn't go without that one. I mean, that to me on my all-time favorite rap albums list Mm -hmm. is number one. And, you know, (laughs) no, I'd have to be able to hear that. So I got to sacrifice ready to die for that.
0: All right. And that's why we ask these questions so we don't have to make these decisions.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You see, we're not answering these questions. Exactly. (laughs) Right. All right. Next, what's the better debut album? 50 Cent's Get Rich or Die Trying or Snoop's Doggy Style?
2: Wow. Um, Hmm. I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day <laughs> when they try to talk about which was the bigger debut. Um, and I was outside when '50s album came out. <laughs> I just did this. I just did did this review about I don't know a month ago, a month and a half ago for '50s. Get rich or die trying. To me, I think it's got to be doggy style though. Yeah, I mean it's doggy style became a cultural phenomenon. Not that get rich or die trying wasn't big, but. Oh, we so many terms and phrases came from doggy style cultural references that we use from doggy style. I mean, yeah, man, it's got to be doggy style, man. It's uh, because (laughs) Snoop became one of those things that you had to hear him ever since we heard him, not just on deep cover, but nothing but a G thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And by the time the anticipation was so high, when doggy style came out. It was like, damn, we know this album's going to be good and you get it and it's like, it's even better than I imagined. (laughs) Right. You know, so to me, I had to say the better debut was definitely Doggy style.
0: All right. Here's another tough one. Possibly the greatest hip hop duo of all time, but you can only choose one, Big Boy
2: or Andre 3000. Mm, I'm going to get some blowback for this. (laughs) And it's not because I think that he's better necessarily. I'm going to have to go with a changeup and say big boy. Okay. And the yeah. only reason I say that is I know I'm going to get music consistently with big boy. Now, Dre has had some incredible things and had some incredible yeah. quotes over the years. But the one thing that frustrates me more than anything else about him is that he doesn't have the desire to do the thing, which he does best. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Big boy's going to put out some music and oh, he yeah. has put out some incredible <laughs> music yeah. since Outcast stopped recording together. He still has the drive and the passion. I think a lot of people underestimate him and his contributions on all those Outcast classic albums. Actually, on the Speakerbox Love Below album, I listened to Speakerbox more than I did the Love Below. Yeah, I and understand. I think I was one of the few people who actually did. I'm I'm right there with music. I wanted to listen to, you know, (laughs)
1: Miguel's pick too. I am right
2: there with you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so I would have to say big boy. Yeah. Cause for me,
0: when people say they're so different, they're really not like they're the same coin. Basically, they say the same things, but in two different ways. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about them.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think maybe um, and maybe I'll get some blowback for saying this, but I think (laughs) the people who choose Andre 3000, I think because he comes off as a more of this like artistic soul, whereas um, Big Boy still sort of like, you know, pimp daddy, whatever. So I think Mm -hmm. it's easy for people to write it off as like, oh, he's not that much different from other rappers. But Andre is this unique Mm -hmm. artistic soul. When you look at the two of them, they're not that different from each other. Not at all
2: not at all that isn't and you're an outcast fan you listen to their albums you know that it's not really a big difference between the two of them yeah you know i think uh one of the more glaring parts of that is on a the title track of Aquemini showed you that more so than anything else you know people are like oh they have two different verses like ah, it sounds that way but not really though yeah so yeah
1: they complement each other very well though absolutely yeah all right, so we got a couple more, a couple more, if you can handle it.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Bring them on, Bring them on. All
1: right. Which is the better hip-hop-themed movie, 8 Mile or Hustle & Flow?
2: <sighs> I can't stand Hustle & Flow, man. <laughs> I know some people like it, and I guess they love the story and everything, yeah. but I'm, I don't like Hustle & Flow. <laughs> it's got to be 8 Mile for me. I mean, that when it was set 95 era that I grew up and like, I really attached and latched on to hip hop as part of my identity fully. After I fell in love with Mm it, the underground scene with the battle raps, the fact that you pretty much is an autobiographical sketch of Eminem's life, but the, that really captured hip hop in its essence, like, yo, in the underground freestyle battles, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, a minute and a half. Mm. You can't get no better than that. I mean, that's what we did every day during lunch at the lunch table, outside on during bomb threats in high school, after school. To me, it's got to be eight miles. And I can't stand hustle and flow. So that makes it really easy.
1: Uh, Despite the Academy Award winning song.
2: Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And I love 362, by the way. So, you know.
0: (laughs) All right. You're starting a record label. And you have the chance to sign one of these two artists before they blow up. Knowing what you know about them now, do you sign Drake
2: or Kendrick? I'm probably going to be in the minority here. Um, I would say Kendrick. Only because I think a lot of people would pick Drake because of the numbers that he does. And because he makes popular music. And not to knock that at all. But, you know, people are going to look at the success that Drake has and sort of note that people are going to look at Kendrick and note his success, but they're going to talk about his artistry more than anything else. And I think when we talk about classic music in 20 and 30 years afterwards, I have a feeling that people are going to talk more candidly and more of in a line of respect in regards to respect for his artistry and game for Kendrick more than they would for Drake. And he's going to do numbers, but, um, I would definitely say Kendrick because I think that music has, you have the replay value of that music is going to last, I think, a lot longer than possibly even Drake's would. Not to say that Drake's music isn't going to get replay amongst his generation of fans that influenced him in years. I mean, those commercial hits are huge and they may be huge 20 years from now, but I think 20, 30 years from now, you're going to be having classes and seminars and documentaries made about Tobiba Butterfly and about Damn and about that run from Good Kid, Mad City, all the way up to Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. About how Kendrick influenced not just you know a a generation of rappers to come after him, but then also people to study the game and study the music in a whole nother way than just looking at it on surface level. So, but that's just me. That's me being the <laughs> listening to me. If I loved money, I'd be like, oh yeah, Drake, without a shadow of a doubt. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Give me that. Yeah. yeah, five six million records sold or forty million dollar tour. Absolutely number one on the Billboard charts. Yeah, but. You know, and but to me, I just if I was a record executive, I'm going off of a full package. I'm going to go with Kendrick. You know, Drake back then probably would have so far gone Drake. You know, uh, you know all the that type of Drake. Take care, Drake. Like that, nothing was ever the same. Yeah, but you know, Kendrick for me, without a doubt, because I think the full package of taking everything, what the music may be later on, I want legacy versus not just numbers. But you have a potential to get with Drake. But I think Kendrick's legacy will be greater.
1: Yeah. I don't think you're in the minority in this group.
0: I'm
2: not sure <laughs> okay. about outside of this group.
1: But I, I would pick Kendrick too. Say. Yeah. He's actually one of the few rappers that I think I love. Quote unquote newer rappers that I love as much as the rappers that I loved and grew up with in the 90s. Like there are, are artists and stuff that I like now. But I don't have any sort of emotional attachment to it. But I mm-hmm. really like Kendrick. And Miguel actually introduced him to me. And he described him as a young Nas. So I was I was like, okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I <laughs> knew that would guy? get her hooked.
1: And from then, I kind of just followed his career. So he's probably the quote-unquote newest rapper out there that I love. So I definitely see where you're coming from. All right. Yeah. One last question. This is not a this or that, <laughs> <laughs> but we are switch it up a little bit. Kind of take it out of music, sort of. But who do you think is the best rapper turned actor? So we got Will Smith. We got Tupac, LL, Latifah, Common, Ice Cube, Methanin. There's so many. Ludacris. Mm-hmm. Shall I go on? Whoever else <laughs> I forgot.
2: <laughs> yeah. Ice-T. Okay.
1: Ice-T, tea. Ice tea, yep. Mm-hmm.
2: So I'm going to have to go... I try to go with craft as far as what their skill is acting wise. Um, and also the performances that they give. So I'm kind of in between two right now. I would have to be between, I would have to say between Will and Ice Cube. Um, but I would have to give the edge to Will because I mean, you could arguably say his acting career has surpassed his music career. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> at, this point, <laughs> at this point, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think that at this point, you're looking at uh, what he's done uh, on the screen, um, starting off just with the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, then transitioning to so many different other types of roles over the years. And he's really worked hard at it, by the way, you know. So um, he's had a lot of bad things to come out too, and a lot of movies <laughs> that were kind of questionable. But, wild, Wild West. Yes. I mean, but. <laughs> But Will, at the top of his game, is about as good as many other actors out there. So to be able to transition from the mic, to be able to be an actor of that standard, got to probably give it to Will. I think Ice-T is good because he's been on so many, on SVU for so long. <laughs> yeah. But I kind of feel like Ice-T has been the same character in whatever show he's been in. Yeah, like he's Ice- just T Ice-T in New York Undercover, yeah. and Ice-T <laughs> in as for you yeah is basically the same guy with or without a ponytail right. the same accent and everything you yep. know same mannerism same face and just like you know yeah but yeah i'd have to give it to will
1: yeah if i see ponytail iced tea and svu that's an episode i want to watch yeah there you go <laughs> the, the, the missing ponytails when svu got really wacky <laughs> but if he's got a ponytail i'm watching it
2: yeah. oh man
0: Oh, so we made it to the end. We made it to the end did. and didn't give you a heart attack or anything with the questions that we put you
2: through. Nah, y'all get, get, y'all almost gave me a heart attack. On those, <laughs> but, but nah, you didn't. It was cool, though. <laughs> so go ahead and plug
0: all the stuff, anything you want the people to know where they can reach you, all that.
2: Of course, man. First of all, thank you all for having me on again. Um, I really love y'all podcast. Enjoy your platform. Thank you for having me on here. But if you want to check me out, you can check us out. Obviously, I'm going to show you to the website, vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com. You go there. All the episodes are on there. You can check the back catalog. You can also go there, see our merchandise store. So you see this lovely hat I have on. Also, this T-shirt as well. These are for sale right now. (laughs) You can get them on shirts mugs tumblers we also have hoodies i have a couple of new merch designs dropping soon so make sure y'all go there and check it out but listen to the episodes drop a review and all the social media channels can be found on vaultclassicpod.com so on instagram tiktok facebook youtube at vault classic pod you know you go there you can reach us but vaultclassicpod.com anything you want to find there episodes drop every monday at nine o'clock eastern time and then we have bonus episodes that come out but you can go and check us out there follow us on all the socials and just hit us up man if you got something you want to talk about old school hip-hop or listen to something that you want to hit us up reach out to us i've had a lot of international viewers reaching out to us via emails so we'd love to be able to expand our net so hit us up there vaultclassicpod.com and um yeah hopefully you guys listen on and again thank you all miguel and christina for having me on this has been a blast
0: yeah thank you for. Agreeing to come on and join us. Yep. Well, for sure. You got anything you want to say, Chris, before we get out of here?
1: not really i never have anything to <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't i told you i was gonna stop asking yeah but you still do i do <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right so head over to troypodcast.com and you can check out a playlist that we're gonna to put together based on this episode uh, you can also check out our other playlists because we love putting playlists together and some of them are damn good i think also if you want to get some of our merch as well you can go over to nothing but a t thing that's t-e-e T H A N G dot com, Tfang.com, grab some t-shirts, hats, all that good stuff. Uh, you can sign up for our newsletter liner notes. That's at troypodcast.com slash newsletter. Uh, we don't spam your inboxes, we hit you up once a month with a bunch of stuff that we like and we think you'll like them too. Follow us on the gram and the bird at Troy Podcast and all that good stuff yeah my throat's getting dry so (laughs) it's time for us to wrap this up and we'll see you in a couple weeks peace